everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. I am Catherine Druckmann. I am talking to Doc Searles and Petros Katupis. This is our first episode back for the new year, so we are very glad to be back. We hope everyone had a, a nice uh, little break, some time off. We're going to have a little bit of a shorter episode, I think, hopefully. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we're going to kind of catch up uh, with each other and with y'all. So with that, I just want to make sure to remind everyone to visit us at reality2cast.com because we will most likely have some supplementary links and stuff like that. And you can sign up for our newsletter, which also should resume again now that the new year is upon us. So with that, um, yeah, so we were just talking a little bit about a few things. One of the things we wanted to, to mention really quickly is just, so Doc has been working on some interesting forward-looking technology, and, and I thought maybe we could get mm-hmm. a quick update about what's going on over there. Sure. Some of you may know that my wife, Joyce, and I have been visiting scholars, which is kind of half right. We are visiting. <laughs> uh at uh, Indiana University at the Ostrom Workshop there. In fact, we've been living there in Bloomington, Indiana for the last few months, although I'm in California right now at our, at our, at our actual home, but we're, we've been living in, in Bloomington because that's where the rubber of ideas that I've been spreading for the last 20-some years are, are h- hitting the road. We have a project there through Customer Commons. That's customercommons.org. It has a project called The Byway. The long name for that is the intention by way. That's intention, not attention. Um, and we're, we actually have a student involved who's writing code and we have professors involved, not just there, but at BYU. Phil Winley, who I think has been on here, uh, inventor of or co-inventor of Picos, which I think are the real internet of things, the real things that could be on the internet rather than the Apple of things and the Google of things, and the Amazon <laughs> of things. And something called Didcom, D-I-D-com, look that one up. There's a lot of development going on with that. And there's some fresh code going on. And the basic idea is what I wrote about in the, in, the Intention Economy, the book that I came out with in uh, 2012. Um, and that in, in that book, I forecast a world in which we can advertise what we're looking for, as it were, on, and not inside somebody's silo, do it independently outside of any existing e-commerce system but in a way that's secure and direct and distributed. And we're getting somewhere with this. We're actually starting to move forward. So anybody who's interested in talking to me about it or working on that, um, I have to update the Customer Commons website. There is a, on the blog there, the last post pointed to an FAQ, which because we changed the tech is going to be completely rewritten. But it's uh, but the cool thing is it's open source tech that we're working with and it's stuff that people are already working on in the world that's really encouraging. And so we're moving forward with it and that's kind of a lot of fun. There's a sense of real, you know, before many ways that we had was something in one Newtonian state, kind of a body at rest. And now it's in another Newtonian state, which is a body in motion and uh, feeling pretty good about it. And there are other developers too, here and in Europe, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on and it's all, very encouraging in a world where there's a lot of unencouraging things going on. So this is one of the things that really is encouraging. Well, cool. Thanks for the update. So the other thing that maybe we could talk a little bit about, so we, we're all, you know, we're all nerds here. (laughs) We like our consumer electronics. And what is also interesting about at least the three of us is we are Apple users. We all use Apple products. I know. And, but we like to pick on Apple at the same time. And, and one of the things that's popped up recently 
is uh, the air tags again. And this is something that we've talked about in previous episodes. When they first came out, we were, you know, raising some red flags, as were a lot of other people. And and I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about what's happening in the news, which is basically that police departments and and this sort of mainstream has picked up on the fact that these things might be a little bit dangerous and might facilitate stalking and 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 some other things like that. And, and I thought maybe we could talk about that. I mean, on one hand, again, we're all Apple users and and who who among us has not had to use uh, the find my feature to find our, our cell phone when we can't find it. In fact, I think that's probably the most used feature on my Apple watch is locating my cell phone. Yeah. I always um, use oh, it by to far. find my I use it all the time. Yeah. My yeah. children yeah. lose their devices and uh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great. Exactly. Feature. But you know, my, there's <laughs> the sound, there's the sound. There's there my it is. Phone. Yep. Right here. Oh, right here. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny how did people not think that this was going to be used for evil? Yeah. That, yeah. Well, that's yeah. exactly what we said back then. We're like, as much as we like this feature and as much as we would love to be able to find our keys or any other device that's tagged with one of these nifty little uh, silver discs, it, it, it seems so obvious that this could be harmful. And, and, as, and to their credit, Apple did attempt to at least put protections in place. You, you get a warning if you have an Apple device and now they have an Android app too, if there's an unknown air tag in your vicinity so that, you know, you can, you can find out why it's there. But to be fair, there are, there are a couple of things here. First, it takes some time before that feature I think is enabled. Initially there was a, I think a three day delay before you would get any sort of warning, but I think that may have changed, but more importantly, does it even matter? Because people, people aren't always paying attention and people aren't, people don't go about their daily lives. Like, you know, with, with the mindset of, Oh my God, what's tracking me. I mean, I mean, unless you're us maybe, but, but for the most part, people are not thinking about these things. This is not, you know, in the front of their minds to go inspect all of their bags for unknown uh, tracking devices. So this is something that could so easily go unnoticed. And I think that's something that should have been more obvious. I don't know what you're talking about. I wake up every morning <laughs> thinking to myself, who is stalking me today? <laughs> well, you're so much more popular. First, than me first thought in my mind. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, I, Apple is so good at anticipating the needs of users, needs we didn't even know we had, right? And in this one case, how, how did it all go so wrong? Well, there's a, a couple. Go ahead, Petra. No, I was going to say, I'm sure during its development in Apple, Apple engineers posed the same question and maybe the higher up said, I don't care. We're going to sell it anyway. Right. Or they're uh, victims of their own optimism. Maybe they have faith in humanity that we just don't. <laughs> well, Jobs did, didn't he? I mean, he yeah. when, when, the, uh, when the iPhone first came out, I know, I know Apple was pushing real hard against anything adult or pornographic related right? Um, to be, you know, for their devices to be hosting or accessing anything related to that stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I vaguely recall this in the early days of um, the iPhone and, 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 and so forth. But I mean, people are going to find a way to misuse these things. They're going to find well, a way. Well, I, I would argue that Regular old garden variety porn is not misuse, but anyway, that's nobody's yeah. business. Well, anyway, think, sorry, Doc, you were going to say something. Well, a couple of things. One is, um, I, I'm trying to think of who said it, but it's a really good point. 
which is one side of one sign of a good technology is that it's oh I, I think it was Tim O'Reilly. He might be I might be wrong though. So Tim, apologies if it wasn't you. But one sign of a good technology is that it's very hard not to imagine all the bad uses for it. Mm. So there's just all kinds of name any good technology, there are going to be bad uses for it. So that's one thing. Another is um I think you know, inventions of the mother of necessity. I mean, people, I mean, an amazing thing to me about the iPhone is that when it first came out, um, you know, I remember my wife looking at it and said, I can use that. I can, I can, there's a use for that for me. She never saw that with any of the earlier smartphones that are now dead, the Blackberries and the others. Uh, But that one, you know, I had a bunch of, I had a whole series, I had a relationship with Nokia and I had a series of Nokia fancy phones that had whole keyboards on them and had a really crappy web interface and were crippled in the US because the phone companies didn't want you using Wi-Fi and a bunch of stuff like that. And then the iPhone came out, she took one look at it, wanted it. But again, at the beginning, to Petros's point, and I don't know if you were going this direction, Petros, but Steve Jobs didn't even want an app ecosystem on there. Other exactly. people brought that up and, and he did it to his credit. He didn't resist it and saw the value in it. And that took off well before he passed. But, um, you know, but they didn't anticipate that. They thought they were going to control the entire ecosystem. And in fact, they became, you know, the host of an ecosystem. You know, the, the big question for me is, can, is it possible to have an open ecosystem for, for anything? Are we, always, or are we always going to need the platforms, whatever the platforms are? Are we going to need an Apple or a Microsoft or Google or an Amazon or somebody sitting under an ecosystem in order to have it fully work. And I think that I insisted that we don't, but there's an awful lot of, an awful lot of proof to the contrary on that right now. Yeah. I think it depends on who your, your audience is, who your end user is. There's a, there's all, there will always be a very large segment of the population who will give up a lot of control just for ease of use. Yeah, so I'm guilty of it too. I, yeah, we all are. Yeah, been many I mean, cases where I said, "Eh, I don't care." <laughs> yeah, well, well it, it's yeah. We all have a budget of caring, right? How much can we care about any particular yeah. thing, right? And we, and we're always making trade-offs. If we're late sure. to something, we might be speeding and taking a risk and of causing a traffic accident. There's just lots of judgment calls we make all the time, and most of those are emotional. They're not necessarily rational. Um, I, but I wanted to bring up something that that's sort of on this topic. And we talked about it earlier before we started the, the thing. And I don't want to go too far into everything else he was talking about. But there's one thing that um, Moxie Marlon Spike, Marlon Spoke? Marlon, Marlon Spike. Marlon Spike, uh, yeah. Wrote in his now much cited uh, uh, piece, on, uh, uh, more or less taking issue with Web 3.0. But my at least the way it's going and a lot of the crypto stuff involved in it. But that's not where I wanted to go with it. One of the things he said was one of the learnings about Web 1.0 is people don't want to run their own servers. And I wanted to take issue with that. Obviously, a lot of geeks want to run their own servers. And what does it mean mm-hmm. to run your own server now anyway? I mean, Petros, you helped me move Searles.com from, you know, it, a, thing, a thing that actually started as a device under my desk in California to a rack that was in Virginia and then it was in Texas, but it was mine and it was in somebody's rack to something that was in a virtually hosted place that's in a cloud. Yep. It's still yep. mine. I'm still running it. You're still helping me with that. If I have any trouble, you don't sure. you know, so, <laughs> so what does that mean? Lots, you know, there, 
I think, I think what happened is that, you know, big companies that could make interesting platforms that were extremely useful and had a very low threshold of entry took advantage of the fact that rolling your own was still hard. But I'm not sure rolling your own has to be hard. And I think it's one of the things that that it's, it, you know, it's it's not that rolling your own is hard. The hard part is the securing and maintaining it. And that's the yeah. inconvenience. That's the that's the part that requires a bit more knowledge in, right? You have to be on top of it. There's always going to be a new threat yeah. that's going to tear down your ecosystem, you know, your, your server and, and, and whatever it hosts. So yes, yeah, staying on top of that is, is an absolute nightmare, which is why I, I've been, I've been hosting my own websites for many, many years. And it was recently that I did what I helped you do. And that is migrate all my stuff to mm. a virtually hosted environment and just let the security and the you know, the, um, the vulnerability updates be managed by somebody else. Yeah. And that way I just focus on my content and my content alone. And I don't have to worry about that, but yeah, you know, rolling your own is not the, is not the problem. It's just the maintaining it of it all. Right. Yeah. And I, I was thinking too, cause I'm sitting here in a house that we own. It's not a small house. It's not exceptionally large, but it's, um, it's 15 years old now. There's a lot of work it needs. I, I spend some of every day dealing with something I never thought about: the landscape lighting, the the you know the the shower control for hot and cold. And, you know, and all these things cost a lot of money. And just you know, but but there is this dream of home ownership. Why can't we? If it's hard and complicated, but okay with most people to own a home on the on the on the, in the physical world, why should they not want to own a home as it were in the virtual world, knowing that's going to be some work, right? But there are, but the nice thing is like with the landscape lighting, I made a bunch of calls. I mean, it, it's 15 years old. I found that there actually are replacement parts. I went down to the local place that deals in those parts. I managed to find a connection to get a bunch of them. That was almost enjoyable to me. Is there something like that that's possible? in the physical world or is it just in the, in the virtual world or are we just kind of stuck with, okay, the big guys are going to take care of everything for me. But, but again, in my case, I actually am running a server. Most people aren't running a server, right? They're just going to, they right. don't have, I have Searles.com. You go to Searles.com, you're looking at my server. Uh, but, but it should be easier. I mean, and I think, I don't know, I, where I go with this is, I think it's still early. I think it's just really early and whatever this is going to be. And actually- so Dividing I'm history sorry. into web one, two, and three is just way, way, way too simplistic. So that is actually a perfect segue. So when you just said dividing history, right? So something that I noticed in that's related to the, the Moxie post you mentioned, but also um, something that I noticed based on a tweet from Matt Mullenweg, who is, as many of us know, mm. the um, founder of WordPress. He was, he was on the cover of Linux Journal. I interviewed him. Mm -hmm. Super nice guy. I love um, WordPress. WordPress. Yeah, who, who doesn't love WordPress, right? I've so, been the talks. Yeah, good guy. Yeah, so so Matt posted, pointing out there's sort of a revisionist history going on, right? About what we consider to be Web 2.0, that Web 3.0 is supposedly going to fix, right? But he pointed out, and and we we were there, we remember this, 
that, you know, early on web 2.0 was about platforms and interoperability. Then it was WordPress, as he points out, Flickr, Six Apart, Technorati, Delicious, if anybody even remembers any of those, right? Or some of those. And if you go back and, and think about the, what we thought of as web 2.0, and this is when I was just getting started, you know, even it, with technology and the web and, and Linux journal, um, you know, the things we were focusing on were aggregation and, and, um, and, you know, RSS feeds, right. That was a new thing at one time, <laughs> you know, and we wanted, right. you know, everything, everything was a protocol and everything could sort of communicate with each other. And you could have all these various social media aggregators back then we could still have chat on multiple platforms at once. Do it. Does anybody remember using Adium, for example, or even, or, uh, yeah. or Jabber? I mean, th- that was web 2.0. And now we are going back and redefining it as something that Facebook controls, where that's not really true. Web 2.0 does not equal social media. There's a lot, there was a lot more that came just before the Facebook mm-hmm. phenomenon happened. So, you know, I think that's that's an interesting point that are we re- are we really even having the conversation in the right way? Because if we don't remember what web 2.0 is, then how are we really comparing? where we're going with web three. Yeah. You know, we always, there's a natural human tendency to want to simplify things. I mean, I, I hear, I mean, it's kind of fun to bash Silicon Valley and big tech right now, but what are those, (laughs) you know, I mean, they're exactly, uh, you know, is IBM big tech is, you know, um, I was talking to someone from SAP earlier and SAP is like one of the biggest operators in the entire e-commerce world, but they're largely invisible because they're kind of back endy. And are they big tech? Are they who we're talking about when we say big tech and Silicon Valley is more conceptual place than an actual place at this point. You know, there's a, and, and the notion that Silicon Valley wants this or that, I think wall street is a much more coherent entity as a metonym. That's what that is. A metonym. Um, than Silicon Valley is, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's as a metonym, it's Silicon Valley stands for something, but what it stands for is far more, far more simplistic than what's actually going on there. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I think, um, God, it's funny, this, this conversation reminds me of, well, a lot of other, you know, conversations we've had such as like, we talk about open source ideology a lot on this podcast, which is peripherally related to all of these things, right? Um, and sometimes, you know, when we've had Kyle, Kyle Rinkin on the show, we, we've talked about especially how sort of disconnected people are sometimes from the origins of open source and open source is, right. it hasn't come to mean something different, but people's understanding of it maybe has changed. And I think, I think that's, um, that there's a common thread here is, is that, you know, humans are a forgetful bunch. We're mm-hmm. constantly redefining norms. We're constantly redefining, you know, our own our own personal histories, let alone everybody else's histories. So I don't know. what. Is, so what does that mean for the web, right? If we can't remember <laughs> what we were working on 10 years ago, for those of us who were, what does that mean for what we will be working on in the future? How, how do we even sort of conceive of where to look forward? I don't know. It's It's a... An interesting, uh, I wouldn't call it a problem to solve, but it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, I've just looked here to see what people say is open source. I'm not getting a good enough answer. Um, 
it's funny. I mean, a thousand years ago, if you did a search for the internet is, and then all the things you, that came after that were for the top one was always for porn. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, uh, and that was actually, there was a song with a little video, which is the, yeah. the internet is perfect for porn. It's from the, what is the, the musical Avenue Q? Is that, is that what I it is? Forget it's what from it a is. musical. I think it's Avenue Q. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, to some degree, I, if somebody asked me what is web two web, what was web 2.0 or what is web 2.0? All I can really remember about back then is rounded corners, <laughs> rounded corners yeah. and gradients. Yeah. That's what web 2.0 is. With uh, CSS. Right. Yeah. But I mean, actually, what, what that brings up for me, and this is a little bit off our topics, but it still goes somewhere and it, and it speaks of our dependence, is um, most of the most search results these days get you to whoever's promoting something, you know, and rather than what page rank used to do, which is what are people linking to most, right? What are the most linked to things? And, and the link to that approach to page rank kind of gave you a, a window on the world and what the world was thinking rather than a window that we have now, which is what is the most promoted, who's paying the most to be in this position in a search result, you know, because SEO is overpowering everything else. I think and it's so normative now that we don't have a, we don't have a, a sense of what is, what does the world think of this? What is, you know, because that, but then again, does the world link like it used to either? That may not be the case either. So, you know, and I mean, I've conducted little tests to see how many people actually click on a link inside stuff I've written, and it's a remarkably low percentage. You know, people used to follow links a lot. I think they follow links much less than they used to. But that's a empirical on my part, so I don't know. Yeah. So, so we wanted to keep this episode a little bit short today, just because we're easing back into the year. We've got a lot <laughs> going on. We don't want to overwhelm anyone, right? <laughs> I don't want, want you to look forward to listening to the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> but so one of the things I was thinking of is, I, you know, what I would love for anybody out there listening, um, we hope you are many, I would love for y'all to either email us, you can do that through the website, or tweet at us or do whatever, whatever makes you happy. We're also on, um, on uh, uh, Mastodon. But let us know what you think web 2.0 even means what you know what do you what does it mean today or how do you remember it yeah or forget forget even 3.0 just don't even go there just what is what is even 1.0 what was that what's 1.0 what's one what's two and and where you know what's three because i think i think before we start working on improving ourselves i think we need to become aware of where we've been so anyway i just wanted to to make sure i I threw that out there before we before we wrap up or anything and i'm wondering if there's an internet i mean the the web is one thing you can do on the internet there's a lot of other things you can do on the internet it's true is there a one two and three of those what are those e-commerce one two and three perhaps yeah i mean an e-commerce too i mean i think there's I think you could actually draw a line between internet, some probably O point something and internet one with the standing down of the NSF net in April 30th of 1995, which <laughs> opened up e-commerce. You know, suddenly there was no backbone within the internet that forbid any kind of content and a bunch of stuff happened. But there's another one, which 
when nobody ever talks about this or not that I know of, which is when did peering come around? What did that peering made all kinds of things possible when basically all of the, the backbones of the internet and the, and the big providers of various kinds all kind of agreed, if we're big here, we're not going to charge each other for, for traffic. We're just going to peer because it was too complicated to bill. You know, the phone companies all build each other kind of, they all had, they, they, there was a business model there and peering was actually a way to decide that there's not going to be a business model at this level and this layer of the internet. And that, that was a big deal. When did that happen? I don't even know when that happened. You know, maybe somebody does, but it's an interesting yeah. question. When did that happen? You know, I, I think we're thinking of this all the wrong way. Mm-hmm. We need to Usually. go straight. <laughs> no, no, hold, hold on, hold on. We need to go straight to the source, to the to the one who invented the internet, Al Gore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Al Gore, if you're listening, well, Al may have something to do with this. I mean, it, he knows. You know, our, in the beginning was ARPANET, right? But anyway, he, you know, Al Gore knows because he was there. So, yeah, well, so are Ben Surf and Khan and lots of other people. So, um, and when I've talked not. to Vint about it, Vint has said it's just there's no one point anything happened. You know, they're, they're like, he, he's pointed out to me that no, there actually was some e commerce before NSFNet stood down. So, wasn't the, uh, the first, point. the first, e-commerce or you know what i may be misthinking this but i thought the first commercial company to be able to sell something on the internet was domino's or pizza hut one of those pizza companies and i remember you were able to order their pizza through a video game like huh. EverQuest or something like that. Well, okay, I've got to look our, this up. Maybe one of our listeners my can time. say which one that where that was. Yeah, that's a good trivia question. For- <laughs> yeah. Here, EverQuest. Uh, what, what was the first pizza sold on the internet? I mean, that might it be. It was the- Pizza Hut, it looks like. Huh. Uh, P- wait, Ever- wait, don't give the answer. Okay. We have yeah. to give it in the next episode. <laughs> yeah. You got to have a cliffhanger, Petros. Okay. <laughs> we'll have the full answer, but hint, hint, it was apparently Pizza Hut. Mm. Stay tuned. I think of something else. You know, it was the first mousetrap sold on the internet. You know, uh, it's probably it was, some disgusting things no, that were the first things sold too. You know, I, I I don't know if this was the first commercial product sold. Uh, it, it likely was not. Um, I don't know. But we're gonna find out what was, and we're gonna talk yeah. about it next time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think that's I think that's a point. great place to to leave it. I think you know mm-hmm. we've got trivia for next time. We have we have homework, and um, yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for for joining us today, everyone. Thanks for hanging out our little conversation, and we look forward to the next one. Bye.